family is under attack. Uh, and we want people to know that the family is the unit that God is working through today to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only two, and we're, I'm going to use the word institution. It's a terrible word for this purpose, but it works. There are only two institutions that God has ordained uh, and is working with today in our world. The first one is the church, um, and by that I mean not just Calvary Baptist Church of Preble, but the church that Jesus said he would build in Matthew chapter 16 when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The second institution is the family, and um, uh, we, are, we are excited about what God is doing. I've got some. Thanks, Mark. Um, we're excited about what God is doing in your family. And you might say, well, Pastor, you really don't know what's going on in my family. Things are tough. Things are difficult. We're struggling. Well, I don't know because you don't tell me. If you tell me, then I'll be able to pray for it, pray for you. Um, and that's why we have the family of the week as well. We don't want to just give generic things, but we want you to share with your church family what's going on so we can genuinely pray for you. Um, but then, even if you're struggling in your family, know that God has put your family together for a purpose and that God has promised you that he would lead your family through even the darkest times, the most difficult times. If you allow him that place in your life that he desires to have, he will bless, he will direct, he will guide, and he will allow you to be the family that he wants you to be, reaching others with your story. Family is so very important. We can't survive without our family, and God designed it that way. So every family, every person that's sitting here this morning has a story. And this morning, I'm going to tell a story. Now, you know that I like to tell stories, and that's kind of something that grandparents do with their grandkids, right? They tell stories. My grandpa was a great storyteller. Sometimes he would sing the story to us. He had a very nice voice. He was easy to listen to. At least I thought so. Maybe nobody else did, but I liked it. Um, but he could also tell a story. And, and some of the stories that he liked to tell the most were fish stories. You know, fish stories tend to take on a life of their own, don't they? The fish I caught was this. I remember him telling a story about fishing and he, he caught a gar. Now, you know what a gar is? A gar is a fish that's got a long snout and it's got like really sharp teeth on it. So he pulled it up on shore and it's, it's just kind of flopping all over the place and gnashing at him with his teeth. And so he knocks it on the head and then he goes to grab a hold of it with a pair of pliers. He grabs a hold of the jaw to get the hook out and he said, that crazy fish, he shook and he broke his jaw right off and jumped back in the water. Is it true? I don't know. It's a fish story. Well, I'm going to tell you a fish story this morning. But I want you to know that this story is maybe a little different than my grandpa's fish stories. Because this story is absolutely true. There is no doubt about the facts of this story. Why? Because they, recorded, they are recorded in the pages of Scripture. These stories are true, and there is no doubt about the events and the authenticity of this fish story. Before we get into this story, though, let's ask God to bless our time together as we look at this story and see how it might apply to our lives. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you again this morning, and we're so thankful for who you are. 
You are the creator God. You are the one who brought us into existence. In fact, you knew us in eternity past. We, when we were born, it wasn't the first time you ever thought of us. You thought of us in eternity past, and you called us to be part of your family. And we're so thankful for that. We're thankful that, Father, you have ordained and outlined our story from long, long ago. And, Father, as we submit to your will, your, our story unfolds as you want it to unfold. We're going to see this morning the story of a man named Jonah. It's quite a story. And as we read through the story, we might think, mm, I wonder if that's really true. Did that really happen? Well, we know that it did because you recorded it for us in Scripture. And we know, Father, that you only used holy men to write your word. And so we're thankful for the story of Jonah. And as we get into it, we'll see that he made some mistakes. He did some bad things. He made some wrong choices. But I believe in the end he got his life right because you used him to write the book that bears his name. That reminds us of your sovereignty, your grace, your mercy, your love, and so many other things that we're going to learn about this morning. Bless our time in your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our story this morning starts out with a man who knew God and I think at points in his life really loved God. Not just any God, but the one true God. You know, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That God. This story starts off with a man who was serving that God, at least at points in his life. And God had a message for this man, Jonah. He broke into Jonah's life, and he said to Jonah, he says, Hey, Jonah! And when God talks to you, you should listen. Okay, especially in those days when he talked sometimes, not often, but sometimes he talked to others. And he said, Jonah, I have a message for you. I have a job for you. I have a task I want you to complete. Okay, God, what's the task? I want you to go to Nineveh. Where? Uh, Nineveh. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell those people in Nineveh that their evil, their wickedness, their sinfulness has come up before me, and I'm going to judge it if they don't turn away from it. Did you say Nineveh? Yes, Jonah, Nineveh. Yeah, but you know Nineveh. Yeah, I know Nineveh. I know them very well. That's why I'm sending you there. Yeah, but you know Nineveh. We Jewish people, we don't like Nineveh. They're our enemies. They're, they're people who don't like us, and we don't like them, and we don't want them to have any good stuff. We, we in fact, would like it if you did judge them. That would be a good thing. No, Jonah. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to speak against their wickedness. So what does Jonah do? Well, Jonah does something that we often do when we know God wants us to do something. We say, okay, God, but then we don't do what God tells us to do, right? We go and do something else. Well, I've got a, a map up here on the screen, and we're going to see here that Jonah was here when he started out, and God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Well, Nineveh from Gath Heifer is not that far away, right? So what does Jonah do? He gets in a boat, and you know where the boat's going? To Tarshish. You see where Nineveh is, and you see where Tarshish is? You can't get much further away. You can't go in, a, in more of a different direction than what Jonah did. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I'm going to Tarshish. No, thank you, God. I don't want to talk to those people. 
Well, Jonah gets in the boat, and the boat is on its way to Tarshish. And you know what happens? Like it normally happens, God's plan for us works out in our life, even when we don't want it to work out according to his plan. I love it where it says, God prepared a storm. God prepared a great wind. And, and this, the way that Jonah records this is, is actually kind of amazing. The ESV says that God hurled the wind upon the sea. Can you get this picture? The wind began to uh, attack the ship, but God creates this wind, and he prepares this wind, and he hurls it onto the sea. I mean, I love baseball, and, and, I, and I love the imagery here. God just takes this wind in his hand, because God can do that, and he goes, Wah! and that wind is not directed at anything but that little ship that Jonah's on. He hurled the wind at the ship, and the ship begins to experience this up and down, this craziness, this activity on the sea that this, these men had never encountered before. And you have to understand, these men are sailors. They're seamen. They're mariners. They've, had, they've experienced some of the worst that you can experience on a boat because that's where they spend their life, on a boat. So as they're minding their own business, sailing to Tarshish, God hurls this wind at that ship, and it starts to fall apart. So what do these men do? Well, these men, not being religious men, but they get together. What are we going to do? We better pray. Isn't it amazing how that's the response of the world? When, When they get in the most difficult spot in their life, what do they do? They pray, or they ask you to pray for them. Hey, would you please pray for me? Why do they ask you to pray for them? Because they've had an experience with you and you've shared your story with them at some point, to some degree, and they know that you love God and that maybe your God will listen to you when they know that they don't love God and God probably won't listen to them. But anyway, they start crying out to their God. And let me tell you this, their God was not the God of Jehovah. Okay, their God, they're, they're probably Phoenician sailors and, and they had a plethora of gods. So the captain, in the process of throwing all the stuff overboard to lighten the ship so the ship doesn't cause them great, doesn't go down and take them with him, the captain is going around looking for things that they can throw overboard. And what does he find? He finds Jonah. What's Jonah doing? Well, Jonah thinks he's been successful in evading God's plan for his life. He's down in the bottom of the ship, and he's sleeping. That's how content he is. That's how much he thinks that God, he's gotten away from God. He's going as far away as he can. He's in that process. He thinks, oh, this is cool. I'm going to take a nap. So he's down there sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And the captain finds him and says, hey, you, what do you think you're doing down here sleeping? We're all going to die. Get up and pray to your God. Whoever that God might be, pray to him because maybe he will hear and maybe he will save. So Jonah gets up and he's kind of thinking, you know what, this is probably my bad. This is probably my fault. Jonah had told the sailors that he was on the run from God. And they didn't really care because they don't really care about God because that's what the world does. I was listening to something on the radio the other day um, 
And, uh, and the preacher said, you know, when I, when I encounter unbelievers, I really don't expect them to act like believers because they're not. And as Christians, we shouldn't expect them to act like believers either because they can't. So don't get all upset when the world does what the world does. Just pray for the world, live your life before your God, and let your God do a work in their lives. That's what you have to do. That's what Jonah, he, Jonah said, I'm running away from my God. I'm going to Tarshish. I want to get as far away as I can. And so they're okay, come on board. And, and so he's on board, and then they realize, uh-oh. Jonah, what have you done? What is this evil that you have done? Why did you bring evil upon us? What did you do? Where did you come from? What is your hometown? Tell us. We need these answers because we've got to figure out what we're going to do. So Jonah answers the question. He says, I'm a Hebrew. That probably didn't win him any brownie points. He also says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, the one who created the sea and the dry land. That's who Jonah is and that's the God of Jonah and you know what now these guys are really afraid oh who's your God he's the God who made the sea and the dry land where are they they're in the sea where are they wishing they could be right now on dry ground my God made the sea and the dry ground and and so they're terribly afraid This God that you've offended, this God that you're trying to hide from, he found you. (laughs) Our God has a way of doing that, doesn't he? He can find us no matter where we are. Why? Because everywhere he goes, he is with us. He doesn't even have to look for us. I like this word fear here. The Bible Knowledge Commentary describes the word fear like this. It says, fear indicates an ongoing activity of awe before the Lord It's an activity of piety in his presence, of obedience to his word, and of saving faith. That's what Jonah says, I fear the Lord God. That means I'm going to obey him. That means I, I stand in awe of him. I reverence him. The fear that the sailors are experiencing is not that fear. That fear is like you've done something wrong and now the consequences are being pulled up, poured out on you in a very heavy way. Because Jonah feared the God of Israel, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the heavens and the sea, this caused those sailors to ask, again, what have you done? Why did you do this? <clears throat> Jonah says, I didn't want to do what God wanted me to do. You see, when we choose to do something other than what God tells us to do, how does that usually end up for us? Not so good, right? These sailors, when they asked that question, they weren't really asking a question. They were actually more making a statement of horror at Jonah's disobedience. It's like they understood that He made a big mistake. These pagan sailors seem to grasp the seriousness of his disobedience more than this prophet did. How could you do such a stupid thing, Jonah? That's really what they were saying. don't Don't you know that God, even their gods, they believed, would act upon them if they were 
blatantly disobedient to him. Why wouldn't the prophet of God know that? Well, he should have known that. He actually did know that. He just disregarded it. These experienced seamen then begin to do even more. They're doing all they can to kind of solve Jonah's problem, to take care of the storm, to weather through the storm, if you, if you will. And you know what? They, after they've expended all their energy, all of their wisdom, everything that they could think of to do, they looked at Jonah and they said, what are we going to do with you? Because what we've done, it ain't working. What do we do with you? <laughs> well, Jonah says, throw me overboard. What? Yeah, throw me overboard. But, but, but you'll die. Throw me overboard. See, Jonah knew that he was the problem. He also believed that if they threw him overboard, their problem would come to an end. Interesting what they do. These sailors, these pagan men, before they throw Jonah overboard, you know what they do? They pray to Jonah's God. They ask Jonah's God to forgive them for throwing him overboard. For, in essence, killing him. So, immediately, they throw him overboard. And as soon as he's off the ship into the water, guess what happens? The sea calms. Immediately, there's no more wind. Just as quickly as God hurled the wind at the, sea, at the ship and onto the sea, he took it back. What does that tell us? That our God is in control. He is indeed. Jonah wasn't just talking to talk. He said, my God is the God of the seas. And when he responded, he pulled this wind away and the sea was calm. You know what happened? Those sailors feared God, but feared him in a different way. They began to fear him the way Jonah feared him. Oh, man, if we do what God asks us to do, look what God does. He blesses. They began to worship, and they made sacrifices to Jonah's God. What a contrast between these pagan men and their former passenger. Jonah was disobedient to God, and these men, seeing what God is able to do, became obedient to him. And now the Bible says right in the text, they're praising the God of Jonah. You see, when we are obedient to God, what happens to those around us? They see the difference, and sometimes they are impacted by the difference of us serving our God. Now, we don't know how long that impact lasted in their lives. We never hear about them again. But for that moment in time, they were influenced by a man who who said, okay, this is what God wants wants you to do to me, so do it and everything will be okay. At this point, we might think, well, Jonah got just exactly what he deserved. He got thrown overboard and he probably died. But you know what? God hadn't forsaken Jonah. He was still at work in his life. And God did something for Jonah. God prepared something special for him. Like he prepared the wind that he hurled upon the sea, God prepared, the Bible says, a great fish for Jonah. Now, many have asked and wondered and thought, well, just what is this great fish? Well, can I tell you something? It's not a whale. Okay? We say that because whales tend to be the biggest thing that we know that lives in the ocean. 
We used to go down to a place called Hermanus in October for the whale festivals. We had these whales called the Southern Right Whales. These things are massive. They're huge. You know, I don't know how they got their name, Southern Right Whale, because they live in the southern waters, the southern oceans, and they were the right whale because they were the ones that they could catch easily and get all of their blubber and, and harvest them very easily. So they were the southern right whale. It was the right one to get. And you know what? There's been stories of people that were actually swallowed by those kinds of fish that have lived. Interesting. But Jonah's fish was not a whale. We say, Pastor, well, what kind of fish was Jonah's fish then? Well, we find out the answer to that to some degree over in the New Testament when Jesus talks about this very story. He says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. But he talked about the great fish. And you know what the word was that God, that Jesus, God used for that great fish? It's the word ketos. Interesting word, right? Jesus used the word ketos. Um, it simply means a sea creature or a sea monster. Pastor, you really believe in those things? Well, yeah, I've never seen one. And they may be extinct today, but listen to what the Institute for Creation Research says about this sea monster, this ketos that Jesus said God prepared for Jonah. A guy by the name who wrote the article, his name is Cooper, identified an array of sources from outside the Bible that pinpoint the ketos as a sea dragon. A ponderous weight of historical evidence shows those who best knew the Mediterranean Sea consistently used ketos to mean a sea serpent. Cooper wrote, the Ketos, the dog-headed sea dragon, appears in accounts from around 700 B.C. all the way up to A.D. 500. History and archaeology indicate that the Lord Jesus' audience, audience might have understood exactly the kind of creature to which he referred. The Ketos, the sea serpent that swallowed Jonah. Go ahead, two more slides for me, Chloe, and you'll see maybe a picture of what this Ketos kind of looked like. Kind of like a serpent that floats around in the, in the ocean or in the sea. But it's massive. It's huge. These are things that they found on cave walls and other places and mosaics that kind of indicate, yeah, this, is, this was something, not somebody's imagination, but these things literally exist at the time. You say, well, is that really true, Pastor? Can that even possibly be true? Well, you know the book of Job? Job talks about what there? talks about the Leviathan. You know what the Leviathan looks like? A lot like that. Talked about this great sea creature, the Ketos, that lived in the sea. Not that it's a big deal, but this kind of a fish God prepared for Jonah so that Jonah could be swallowed by this fish and still live to tell about it. We'll get on to that more in just a little bit. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of this great fish. Can you imagine the fish stories Jonah had to tell after living in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights? In fact, he describes what it was like to live there. He says in Jonah chapter 2, he says, You, God, cast me into the deep. In other words, off the boat, he was cast into the water and he began to sink like a rock. 
And as he was sinking into the deep, along comes this sea creature that God had prepared for him and swallows him. Like God hurled the storm onto the sea, he hurled Jonah into the deepest part of the sea. Jonah thought he was dead. He thought he was going to die. He said, I am driven away from your sight. Now let me remind you that the reason he was driven away was because that's what he chose. He chose to disregard God's calling in his life and go someplace else. Can I tell you this? Sometimes when we choose to disobey God, that's the starting process. We made that choice to disobey God, to, to stop doing what God told us to do, wanted us to do, revealed for us to do. After that, God kind of can take over and do some things that we might not want him to do in our lives. You, you think Jonah wanted to spend three days and three nights in the belly of a fish? Uh-uh. He didn't choose that, but when we choose to disobey God, we don't get to choose the consequences. And that's a consequence. Jonah spent three nights and three days in the belly of the fish. He was driven away from God. But now he says, as he's going over his life in the belly of the fish, he says, I shall again look upon your holy temple. In essence, Jonah makes a statement here that he again wants to walk with the Lord. He wants to turn around from where he is now. He wants to repent. He wants to confess. He wants to get right with God. He said, while I was in there, the waters closed in over me to take my life. Jonah knew the seriousness of his situation. He knew that this might be the last time he chose to disobey God. You know what? When we choose to disobey God, we never know if it's going to be the last time. We want to live life in such a way that we are obedient to God. And we know his blessing, we experience his blessing, rather than his judgment. He says, yet you brought me up out of the pit. That's another important statement from the text this morning. This word pit, you know what it means? It means the place of the dead. Jonah seriously thought he was going to die in the belly of the fish in the deepest parts of the sea. But then he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Jonah began a prayer of confession and repentance and expressed his desire to return to a right relationship with the Lord God. This, my friends, is one of the high points of the book. Jonah's prayer is not simply a prayer of confession. But see, if you continue to read on the text, you know what he says there? He says, with the voice of thanksgiving... Jonah is thankful to be in the ship, in the, in the belly of the way, the, sorry, the belly of the great fish. He's happy to be there. He's thankful to be there. He says, with a voice of thanksgiving, I cry out to you. Have you ever been in the belly of a great fish? No? Have you ever been in a similar difficult situation? You might say, maybe to some degree, maybe, maybe. You don't have to answer this question, but what, is, what do you do when you're in that situation? Oh, man, look at this. Can you believe it? Here I am in the belly of a fish. It stinks in here. The, the acid, man, it's just eating away. I used to have clothes on. Look at my situation. I'm so in such in a bad, I'm just unlucky. Sometimes we tend to complain about that situation, don't we? But what's Jonah do? 
Oh, God, I'm so thankful to be in the belly of this fish. This fish that you prepared for me. I could be dead, but I'm not. The text says, with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And then here's the greatest phrase in the whole book. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God, if you choose to save me out of the belly of the fish, comes from you. Praise you to God be the glory, great things he has done. If that's your choice, amen. And if it's not, well, I should have made a better choice to begin with. At that very moment, God spoke to the fish, and he told the fish to expel Jonah. And just like that, get this, just like that, you know what the fish did? Vomited. That's what the text says. It vomited Jonah out on dry ground. Probably near Phoenicia where they worshipped the fish god. <laughs> kind of funny, isn't it? And you say God doesn't have a sense of humor. Yes, he does. Of course he does. This fish vomits Jonah out on dry ground. Can you imagine the sight Jonah was at that point? Can you imagine? Remember, it's a sea, fear, sea, it's a seaport town. It's a place where they, they love the water. They're around the water. All this didn't happen in a vacuum. People saw this fish vomit Jonah out onto dry ground. The people that saw that worshipped the fish god. You want to talk about an effective illustration? Jonah picks himself up, probably wipes off some of the vomit. And those people are in awe. They're like, wow, did you see that? That fish, that man, he... He must be some kind of prophet. He must be. We better listen to what he has. We need to hear his story. We need to find out what's going on in his life. I mean, after all, people don't just get vomited out of fish around here on a daily basis. You know what Jonah got? Jonah got a second chance. Aren't you glad that God gives us second chances and oftentimes third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. Now let me say this before we get too exuberant about the second chance. It would have been better for Jonah to obey the first time rather than to need the second chance. Remember what Samuel said to Saul? Samuel said, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen to God originally is better than the fat of rams or the best part of the sacrifice. We should have obeyed. Jonah should have obeyed. We don't know that God is always going to give us a second or third chance. So let's obey the first time and not have to wait on that or hope for that second chance. God calls Jonah a second time to go to Nineveh. You know, that place that the Israelites hate, that place that Jonah wants to have destroyed. Guess what Jonah did this time? He went. <laughs> he said, okay, I, I learned. I, I'm going to go. Now, I'm not sure that he was happy about going, but he went. I do think he enjoyed preaching the message he preached. You know what the message was? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. <laughs> 
I think Jonah very much enjoyed preaching destruction to Nineveh. Wanted God to destroy them. Wanted God to wipe them out. But along with his message was a message of repentance. He preached. The people listened. The people responded to the preaching from the man of God. And what did they do? They repented, the Bible says, and they sought forgiveness from the one true God. Their evilness had come up before God. Jonah presented their evilness to them. And the people said, hey, you know what? You're right. We're living an awful life. But unless somebody pointed it out to them, they wouldn't have known it. What do we learn from that? We need to point out to our loved ones and to those God brings into our paths and to those who we have the opportunity to speak truth to, we need to present that to them. Hey, God doesn't like your wickedness. God hates your wickedness. God will judge your wickedness if you don't repent. Now, the presentation of that needs to be done in love. Because that's what God is. He's a God of love. But he's also a God of justice and punishment and righteousness and judgment. So as we present that message of who our great God is, we present it in love so that they will see that God does indeed love them and wants them to turn from their wickedness, turn from their evilness. That's exactly what the people of Nineveh did. Jonah's preaching reached all the way to the king where the king heard the message and the king also responded to the message. You know what the king did? He took off his royal robes, his, his, his garb that he wore all the time that said to everybody who saw him, hey, here's the king, you better listen to him, you better pay attention to what the king says. Go ahead, Chloe, to the next slide. So the king takes off his robes, and what does he do? He puts on sackcloth, and he puts on ashes. What is sackcloth? Well, you ever, any, anybody ever do a burlap sack race? That's probably something that shows our age, right? Okay. Um, does anybody know what burlap is? They don't use it so much anymore. They've gone to this plastic stuff. But a burlap bag, is it's, it's, it's hessian, is what we used to call it in South Africa. It's a bag that's made out of rough, coarse material. And it used to hold grain. And you know what? You'd see the holes in the sackcloth. And you say, how does stuff stay in there? But it does. Feed and sand and dirt and all kinds of stays in there for some reason. But it wasn't the nicest material. So when the king said, I'm going to wear sackcloth, he took old burlap bags, if you will, and took off his robes and put on this burlap bag that if you ever have any occasion to be near burlap, you know what it does? You know what it causes you to do? Makes you scratch. You're like, mm. And even after you take it off, you continue to scratch. Okay? But he took off his clothes and he put on this burlap. And then the next thing he did was he took ashes and he dumped them all over himself. That was a, a sign of contrition. It was a sign of remorse. It was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of, hey, I've been doing the wrong thing. I need to get things right in my life. That's what the king does. And the king says, you know what? Here in Nineveh, we're going to have a fast. He proclaimed a fast. Nobody's going to eat. Nobody's going uh, to enjoy in the, uh, the, the good food of Nineveh. Nobody's going to indulge for the next 40 days. We're going to live a life that shows that we're contrite, that shows that we're repenting, that shows that we want to be obedient to Jonah's God, that we want to have a change in the way we do life. Guess what? God saw it. God noticed the change of heart. God noticed the repentance. 
and the people of Nineveh, they stopped their evil practices. They started doing good, and they started following the ways of God. And as a result of their right choice to forsake the things that were evil and to begin to do good, God spared them of the destruction that they deserved. You know what that's a picture of? God's amazing grace. When we repent, we don't put on sackcloth and ashes so much, but we, we stop doing the things that we once did, and we, we ask God to be our Savior. We confess our sins, and we, we, we start doing what is good, not because we're able to do what is good, but because the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, and He enables us to do what is right and what is good. Because we've repented. We've responded to the revelation of the word of God and we've asked Jesus Christ to be our savior and to, and to forgive us of our sins. The people of Nineveh responded to the revelation that God gave them and God forgave them and God withdrew the pronouncement of destruction that was going to come upon them. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The king says, fast for 40 days. Maybe the God of Jonah will see the change of our heart and he will forgive us. And that's exactly what God did. Yes! What a blessing! Jonah must have been thrilled, right? No. What was Jonah? Jonah was ticked. He was actually mad at God. I knew it! God, I knew it! If I preached and these people repented, you, you being the God that you are, would forgive them. Praise God. Jonah knew the kind of God, God that knew the kind of person God was. And Jonah knew that if they repented, that God would withdraw the punishment. This is what Jonah says about the God that he was preaching for and the God that he served. And you know what? It's the same God that we serve. Jonah says, you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. And all of those things Jonah was so grateful for when he was in the belly of the fish. Because he saw, he knew, he understood the graciousness of God. He experienced the mercy of God. The fact that God could have wiped him out at that very moment, but he didn't. And the fact that God is abundant in loving kindness. All of those things Jonah was so grateful for while he was in the belly of the fish. You would have thought he would have been just as grateful when God used him, a, a reluctant prophet, to preach the truth to the people of Nineveh and to see those people repent and, 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 and become followers of the one true God, at least for a short period of time. But he wasn't. He was mad. In fact, his anger turned to bitterness. And he said to God, he said, why don't you just take my life? Please, take my life. I'd rather be dead than to be known as the prophet who brought Nineveh to repentance. Man, is this guy messed up? But sometimes we are too. Sometimes we respond in similar ways to Jonah when we see the goodness of God in the lives of others. So what does he do? He packs everything up and he goes to the outskirts of town and he sits down and he pouts. Oh man, I can't believe God you did this. Why would you do such a thing? I mean, after all, it's Nineveh. You know how much we don't like Nineveh. Well, you know what? 
God loves mankind. Aren't you grateful for that? God gave Israel the responsibility of representing him to the nations around them. And he called Jonah specifically to go to the nation of Nineveh to represent him so that they could learn about the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love of God and begin to live in a way that would be a blessing to others and a blessing to God. But instead, Jonah goes to the outskirts of town and he's pouting. He's unhappy. He builds himself a shelter. Maybe, he says to himself, just maybe God will still destroy them. And if he does, I want to be here to see it. So he's sitting outside in the shelter and he's waiting. And guess what God does? God prepares something else for Jonah. You know what he prepares this time? God prepares a plant for Jonah. This plant grew up overnight and it provided a great shelter for Jonah. And Jonah found great joy in the shelter of this gourd, this plant that God had prepared. But God wasn't done preparing things for Jonah. God also prepared a worm. A worm. Jonah probably says, I don't want a worm. You got a worm. This worm that God had prepared bit the plant of the gourd. And the plant began to wither. And shriveled up. And God's still preparing. Because you know, then God prepares a hot, heavy wind that comes and blows on Jonah with all of the sand and all of the heat of the sun. And Jonah is getting scorched. And Jonah is now going from bitterness to extreme wrath in his heart. God, you, what did you do that for? I had this gourd and it was treating me so well. And then you killed it. You see, it's so important to keep our eyes fixed on God. Otherwise, we get into the wrong frame of mind. The wrong attitude overtakes us. And Jonah is now as about as mad as he can be. And he's mad at God. And God says, hey, Jonah, what's the matter with you? Why are you so mad? Well, the gourd, the plant, it's gone, died. Jonah, you didn't do anything for that plant. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't do anything. You didn't take care of that plant. It grew up in the night and it died in the night. And you want to have pity on the plant? Yes, I want to have pity on the plant. You don't get to have pity on the plant. Oh, do you think you have a right to be angry, Jonah? Yes, God, I have a right to be angry. And I can be so angry that I should wish to die. That's how angry Jonah was. You know what God does? He takes that and he uses that as an illustration in the life of Jonah. He says, Jonah, I want you to think about this for a minute. You're upset because this plant that you did nothing to get and did nothing to keep and you did nothing to benefit from it, you simply sat under it. You're now mad that this plant has died and it's not doing what you want it to do. You want to have pity on this plant. But Jonah... There's this great city of Nineveh of 120,000 kids in that city and you want me to destroy that city. You don't want to have any pity on that city with all of those living souls that if they die, they're going to be separated from me for all of eternity in a place called hell. You don't want to have pity on them, but you want to pity the gourd. Jonah, what is wrong with you? Wow. Wow. Do you think God got his attention? I think he did. 
I think Jonah realized the foolishness of his actions. People will say to me, Pastor, did Jonah ever get right with God? I can't definitely answer that question, but my gut feeling is, yes, I believe Jonah got right with God. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, Jonah wrote the book that bears his name. And what does Peter tell us in the New Testament? That God used what kind of men to write the word of God? Holy men who were born along by the Holy Spirit. So I think Jonah got his life right. We don't have the account of that in the, in the copies of Scripture. But God used this man to write the word of God that we would learn from and we would benefit from. This is quite a story. This is Jonah's story. But you know what? I don't want to stop with just Jonah's story. I want you to think about your story. What is your story? There's some things that can impact our story from the life of Jonah. Number one, I I love the times we read in Jonah's story that God called Jonah. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. God called Jonah when he was in the belly of the great fish. God called Jonah again to go to Nineveh. God called Jonah when he was having his pity party of how bad things were in his life. God wants his children to pay attention to his ways. God wants to use his children. He wants to use his followers. He has things for us to do. And rather than being like Jonah and trying to run away and hide from what God has called us to do, it would be far better for us to submit to his leading and to obey and let God use us for his honor and for his glory. I believe Jonah was used for God's honor and glory through the repentance of Nineveh. Perhaps the great evangelist campaign in history. If there were 120,000 children in Nineveh, how many adults do you think were there? Well, 120,000 times two, for starters. And then you have on top of that, probably still many of those two that produced those 120,000 still had parents and grandparents alive. There's probably a million people in Nineveh that Jonah had no pity for, and God wanted to use him to make a difference in their lives. We need to be willing to let God use us even in uncomfortable situations. The second thing that we can learn from the story of Jonah is the fact that God gave Jonah a second chance. And God often gives us second chances, especially when it comes to salvation. How many times, in fact, not to embarrass you, but we have a man sitting here that people prayed for for years and years. It's safe to say decades, right? Thirteen years. For Lynn to come to know Jesus as his Savior. How many times, don't have to answer this question, but how many times did you say no? Don't want you, God. I want to do things my way. And God broke into his life and brought him to a saving knowledge of the grace and the mercy and the loving kindness of his Savior. I remember Pastor Brown wrote me and said, hey, you won't believe it, but Lynn Webb trusted Jesus as his Savior. Woohoo! We are in Africa. What a blessing that was. Thank God for second chances and more than one chance. So if you have somebody you're praying for to come to know Jesus as their Savior, don't stop. 
Keep doing it. Keep praying day after day, year after year, decade after decade if that's what it's required. Don't give up on God and don't give up on the saving power of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary because you know why? Jonah had it right. He said salvation belongs to the Lord and when he calls somebody, they will trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The third thing that we can learn from Jonah's story is this. As you were listening to the story this morning, did you catch all the times that God prepared something for Jonah? Why did God do this for him? To show Jonah that he loved him and wanted what was best for him. You say, you really think that worm was best for him? It absolutely was best for him. You think being in the belly of the fish was best for him? It's better than being dead. Yeah. Whatever it is that God prepares for us is good for us. Sometimes the things God prepares are not easy to take, but they are always for our good. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Vani quoted this to me when she was in the hospital bed. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I love the way the ESV writes it. It says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we don't want to take that verse out of context, okay? The good for Vani in the hospital bed may not have been healing if that was God's choice. The good might have been to take Vani home. We're thankful he didn't. But you know what? If God had taken her home, you know what that would have been? The ultimate confirmation of Vani to Jesus Christ's image. How do we know that? Because Vani knows Jesus as her Savior. If you continue to read on in Romans chapter 8, you get to verse 29 where it says that the, the, the good of the child of God is to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, everything that God prepared for Jonah was to make him a better follower of God, to make him a better child of God. It wasn't always easy, but it was for his good. And then we see in the book of Jonah some great themes. The themes that run through the book include the very themes that Jonah knew to be true about his God, the fact that God is a gracious God. Amen to that, right? We've experienced, we know God's grace. The fact that God is a merciful God. He doesn't give us what we deserve. God is a God who is slow to anger. That's a good lesson for us sometimes as parents to learn. And grandparents, to be slow to anger. It's easy when our kids do something that's, that's not right, disobedient, sinful, call it what it is, to react in anger rather than to be slow to anger and say, God, how should I handle this? Give me wisdom. I need your wisdom. Help me. God is abundant in loving kindness. His faithfulness endures for all generations. Great is your faithfulness. God is not just looking to do harm, even to those who don't follow him, but he's looking rather to forgive. That's his desire. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and come to know Jesus as their Savior. So on this multi-generational Sunday, these things we have learned from the fish story have no age limit. Aren't you glad about that? These truths are good for the younger and for the older. The older I get, the more I'm grateful for the mercy and the grace and the loving kindness of our God. 
If you need to know more about the salvation that belongs to our Lord, that comes from our Lord, that was provided for us on the cross of Calvary, would you please talk to somebody before you leave during the refreshment time? Pull somebody aside and say, hey, can you tell me about the salvation that Jonah's God provides, salvation that you have? If you need a second chance, you've come to the right place. Come to a place where God will proclaim to you the goodness and the grace and the mercy that he, he has for you. We can show you from God's word how to get that second chance or that third chance that you are looking for. This story of Jonah, as I said, the truth is we all have a story. And God wants to use our story in the lives of others. I want to read the words to a song for you this morning. Matthew West sings the song. It's called, My Story, Your Glory. It goes like this. The story of me was a story of shame. Wrong turns written on every page. So many parts that were so messed up, but I love the part when you showed up. Rewriting my past, rewriting my hurt, line by line, word by word, and now my story is living proof that there's not a chapter you can't use. My story, your glory. My pain, your purpose. My mess, your message. In all things, I know you're working. One life, one mission, one reason why I'm living. All for you, not for me. My story, your glory. Now in the story of me is a story of grace. Fingerprints of mercy on every page. No more ashamed of the path I took. You set me free to be an open book. If even my scars are part of your plan, take all of my heart, Lord, here I am. My only cause till you come home is knowing you more and making you known. All of me, all for you. Let all I say and all I do point, the one who cha- point to the one who changed my life and let me speak the legacy I leave behind. What's the legacy? My story, your glory. My pain, your purpose. My mess, you can take and use as a message. In all things, you're working one life, one mission. May our story be used by God to point others to that very God who has saved us and made us his own for his glory. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We are so thankful for the story that you have given to us. At one point, that story was a story of sinfulness, a story that was leading away from you, that was leading us to a place called hell. But then along comes Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, buying us back out of the slave market of sin, redeeming us, not for our own glory, but for your glory. For our good, you saved us. You picked us up and you put us on the right path. And you have sent your Holy Spirit to live within us, to direct us and to guide us and to help us be the testimony, to be the story that you can use in the lives of others, to take them from a story that's heading to hell to a story that leads to the feet of Jesus at the cross and then into heaven. Father, use us for your honor and for your glory, we ask this morning. We want to be the ones that you use to make a difference in the lives of those we know 
and we love, the ones that we work with, the ones that we live with, the ones that we just meet because you had an appointment for us to meet with them on that day. Father, help us to share the ultimate story of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross of redemption, forgiveness, and restoration. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.